Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today, we're going to be discussing what is merit. Essentially, we're going to be discussing what this topic is, how it benefits you, and why you would really want to do it and how to actually do it. So today, we're going to be discussing this topic as it relates to Buddhist teachings and how it's going to actually benefit you. So first, let's talk about what is merit. Essentially, what merit is, is it's an offering that the community makes to the ordained practitioners and to any teachers or people who are actually sharing the teachings of Gautama Buddha. This would include bhikkhus, who are male ordained practitioners, bhikkhunis, which are female ordained practitioners, and anyone who's attained one of the four stages of enlightenment who are considered to be the Aryan Sangha. Remember, Sangha means the community. So these individuals are applying the teachings in their daily life, and they are either dedicated to being ordained as a male or female, or they have worked their way towards enlightenment and have attained one of the four stages and may have decided to actually start teaching. And in order to actually share the teachings of Gautama Buddha, it takes an enormous amount of time and effort and energy, and it also takes a certain amount of financial support as well. So by the community of people supporting the bhikkhus and the bhikkhunis and teachers who are sharing these teachings, it's a way of ensuring the continuation of Gautama Buddha's teachings. So essentially for the last 2,500 years, actually more than 2,500 years because Gautama Buddha died over 2,500 years ago. For over 2,500 years, people have been making offerings of money, supplies, food, clothing, their time, their effort, medicine, in order to support a community of teachers, essentially the ordained bhikkhus, bhikkhunis, or lay teachers like me, in order to share these teachings over the last 2,500 years. So the only reason why we actually still have these teachings in society today is because of essentially over 2,500 years of generosity of people who were learning these teachings and practicing these teachings, found value in these teachings, and then essentially made offerings to these individuals in order to continue the practice, continue the teachings being shared with the community more and more. This group of teachers, the bhikkhus, the bhikkhunis, and any lay teachers, they've 
essentially dedicated their life to learning and practicing these teachings and sharing them with other people. And in order to do that, the more support that we have essentially to practice these teachings and offer these teachings, the more benefit we can provide to the community. So by us supporting bhikkhus, bhikkhanis, and lay teachers, it allows them to focus on the work that they need to do to continue to practice the teachings, continue to offer the teachings, and ultimately benefit the community that they serve. So creating merit is essentially for people to make offerings to these folks, either money, supplies, food, time, effort, medicine, things like this, in order to help them sustain their life and offer the teachings. Because while these people always willingly offer the teachings freely, it's not free to offer the teachings because there's a certain amount of expense and time and effort, and these people need to sustain their life in some way. So it comes to the community around them in order to help support them and continue the teachings. And how this benefits you is it benefits you through practicing generosity. And remember when we talked about the three poisons, we talked about craving, anger, and ignorance, or unknowing of true reality. Or the other way we refer to them is greed, hatred, and delusion, or again, unknowing of true reality. These are the three poisons that exist in the mind, and the Buddha gave us exact remedies or antidotes, how to transform these poisons into beneficial, wholesome qualities. And this first poison of craving or greed, essentially what it is, is we tend to hold on. The mind will tend to hold on, it will crave, it will latch on, and because it's holding on with this longing or this strong eagerness, we cause our own discontent mind. It's because we want the girlfriend or boyfriend so badly that the mind becomes sad or anger or frustrated. It's because we want that job or we want everybody to wear a mask in our community or we want everybody to stay inside and we don't want anyone to go out. And if we see somebody out, it makes us frustrated or irritated, right? Or if people aren't following what we feel is correct, because we have this longing, it creates this irritation or this annoyance because the mind is holding on. So the way to remedy this first poison of greed or craving, to train it to let go, is of course one, is breathing mindfulness meditation that I've taught in multiple sessions, but also generosity. It's through giving, it's through sharing. You know, we were taught as kids to share and sharing we always looked at as a very good thing, but we didn't maybe necessarily always understand why. We just thought like, okay, yeah, it's the right thing to share. But essentially, what the Buddha brings to your attention is by training the mind to share, essentially by sharing a little bit of food, sharing a little bit of resources, a little bit of this or a little bit of that, or however much you choose to share, you're actually benefiting yourself because you're training your mind to let go. You're training the mind to eliminate this poison of craving or this poison of greed. And it's very beneficial for the mind because when you practice generosity in daily life, then you 
are reducing this poison more and more and more and more. And when those issues come up that you're having challenges with, the mind will be more likely to let go. So training the mind to give and be generous is very beneficial for a practitioner to do. Let's share some actual words of Gautama Buddha as part of what he actually taught about generosity. These are some of his actual words that he shared, and he shared a lot of things about generosity, but these are just some of the words that he shared, very, very few, but he shared an enormous amount about generosity because it's a major part of practice. It's a major way of reversing this primary problem that he discovered, which the primary problem is craving. So the primary solution is generosity. So what he says here is he says, and what is accomplishment in generosity? Here, a noble disciple dwells at home with a mind free from the stain of miserliness. Okay, miserliness is excessive desire to save money. That's what this word means. It's an excessive desire to save money. Because if we hold on to money and we have this desire to hold on to everything, then essentially we're, we're being selfish, right? We're, what part of these practices are in order to attain an enlightened mind is to be selflessness, right? Not kind of focusing on the self. While we recognize this is an independent journey in our life, we also need to recognize this interdependency or this interconnectivity among all beings. So this first part, he says, here, a noble disciple dwells at home with a mind free from the stain of miserliness, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. This is called accomplishment in generosity. So this is the Buddha's words, essentially teaching generosity and sharing that these are qualities of mind that are gonna be helpful. He doesn't say here exactly why, but he says in other parts of his teachings about how generosity is training the mind to eliminate craving, eliminate this greed. And of course, he talks all throughout his teachings about this being the primary problem of the mind is craving. So it's very important that we look for ways to practice generosity. And we talked about this when we talked about the three poisons, but here, this particular topic in this particular chapter is specifically about showing generosity to people who are sharing the teachings. And again, that's the bhikkhus, the bhikkhunis and teachers who are sharing the teachings. So in practicing this, it helps to serve the community. This is how in Thailand they have so many thousands and thousands of temples all throughout Thailand and all throughout other places of the world. All of these temples were created by the generosity of people before us. So the temple that I teach at, it's about 700 year old temple. So that means even prior to 700 years ago, people were already donating land and donating supplies donating money to build up the structures and there's many different buildings on the land and for the last 700 years since that building was created there's been you know non-stop practitioners 
who have supported this particular temple. In the street that I teach on in the city of Chiang Mai, there's probably about 10 different temples. They're literally right across the street from each other. The entire street is lined with temples. And some of them are quite large and quite ornate. And this is because of the generosity of the people, because they see the benefit of the teachings helping them in their life. So they share their time, their effort, their resources in order to practice generosity, which ultimately helps them because they build up a community around a temple. And then there's teachers that are able to come to that temple and actually share the teachings, which benefits the people. So there's always going to be this certain need for financial support in these teachings. And I know growing up in some communities that I grew up in, there was kind of like this ickiness around giving money. It was almost kind of made to feel guilty if you didn't give money or you were made to feel, I was made to feel, you know, I felt uh, shameful um, or fearful even if I didn't donate money to certain communities that I was living in. And that is how certain people may choose to teach this. And that's kind of what my experience was growing up. And you may or may not have had that same experience growing up in various communities that you're in. But in the Buddhist teachings, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is no fear for not being able to offer financial support or money or time or effort in order to support these teachings. It's something that we all need to do in order to help the people behind us that haven't come yet, right? All these teachings have been preserved and handed down for the last 2,500 years with people that we don't even know and will never know over the last 2,500 years, all the billions and billions and billions of people that have shared their time, effort, energy, and resources in order to support these teachings. We'll never know who those people are, but they did it in order to continue the teachings for themselves and for other people. And our generosity in this day and age is going to help the people after us. So the next 10, 50, 500 years, these teachings are going to continue to spread throughout the world. And it's our offerings of merit, our offerings to the bhikkhus, the bhikkhunis and teachers, which is ensuring that these teachings are continuing to benefit more and more people throughout the world. One of the things that the Buddha talked about is he talked about one of the most generous and kind of highest quality offerings that we can make is to actually do meditation. He went through a long list of offerings that people could make to him. And he talked about, you know, large plots of land and lots of gold and lots of food and all these other offerings. And he said at the very end of that talk, he said, you know, the highest quality that one could offer is to actually sit down and do meditation essentially breathing mindfulness meditation. And the second highest quality that somebody could offer would be to do loving kindness meditation. And I feel that way as well, that I think that for students to actually do breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation is the absolute best thing you could do for your practice and for all of humanity, 
because by you learning and practicing these teachings and you becoming more and more enlightened, it's not only going to benefit you, not only benefit all the people around you, but it's going to benefit all of humanity. And these teachings will be able to continue to grow and prosper and shared around the world. But there's also a certain need for food, for shelter, for water, for medical supplies, for financial support. And that's what we do in this practice is we find ways to support the teachings. When I was in America and not really practicing these teachings too, too closely, but as much as I knew at the time, I was a pretty successful businessman. I was making about a million dollars a year gross. And then I was taking home whatever amount I, I was taking home. But I always found ways to support the local temples and the local monks and other charities as well. It was often that I would give, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a month to the local temples, not because anybody ever told me to, not because anyone ever asked me to, not because I ever felt guilty or shameful or in fear that if I didn't do these things, bad things would happen to me. That's not how these teachings are shared at all. It's just kind of out of generosity and helping people in the community. And by me sharing the wealth that I was creating in the community by sharing it with others, it was benefiting the community through the temple and also through other charitable giving that I did as well. So it's always important that rather than just us being caught up in our world of working and all the various activities that we do and all the things that we do to accumulate things that are going to benefit our life, it's always nice to be able to share it with others. And you can find a way to do that if you like. There's lots of different temples probably in your community. There's probably different charitable events that you could contribute to, although that's not exactly merit, but it's still a way to practice generosity. There are certain events and certain organizations that you can be part of in order to share your time and your effort and so forth. This is going to help you practice generosity and it's going to benefit your mind and that you aren't going to be having this tendency to hold on and grasp onto the things that you're accumulating in life. So I would like to pause here. I have some more content that I would like to share with you. But before we get into that, I would just like to pause and see if we have any questions in the virtual classroom or on social media. With, with merits, with so lay people that are practicing merit, is part of the idea to give themselves a, a more beneficial rebirth? I've heard that quite a lot. Yes, there are certain parts of Gautama Buddha's teachings where he discusses by us sharing and practicing merit, essentially giving and making offerings to teachers and ordained practitioners and so forth, he talks about how that improves our rebirth if we're going to be reborn. So if we're going to be reborn back into the human world, then we will be reborn more wealthy. And if we're going to be reborn at all, then perhaps we can even be reborn in the heavenly realm, which from there you can also attain enlightenment from that realm as well. It's not the ultimate goal, it's not the ultimate destination, but it's an improved rebirth. So there are those teachings, but I didn't incorporate that or plan to incorporate that into this talk because I think that our community is still learning kind of some of the basics and, and some of the kind of 
beginning part of these teachings and I didn't want to get deep into the rebirth topic on merit because I think people haven't had a chance to really learn and benefit enough from these teachings to start really getting into the cycle of rebirth in too much level of detail. So what I thought I would do is this first pass through of the chapters in this group learning program is kind of teach at kind of a higher level with a little bit of depth here and there. And then this program will be over because we'll have gone through the entire book in August. And then shortly thereafter, I will start this program again and go through all the chapters again. And at that point, I will teach to a another level of detail that I didn't teach going through the first time. And then that's where we'll be able to get into more about the cycle of rebirth, because I think people need to see some more benefit and see some improved qualities of the mind before we get too deep into things like the cycle of rebirth. Because coming from a Western culture, I think this one is more challenging for people to understand because so many people have been taught that you only have one life, that you're essentially born and then you die and then something happens to you after that that you only have one life. So because you understand this and this is what your teachings have been pretty much your whole life, that's not true. That's not the way things work. But to really dive into those that level of detail now, I think is a, just a little bit premature. So I'm going to wait until we go back through on the next iteration of the group learning program to really get into the cycle of rebirth. Although in one of the chapters, I think it's around chapter 22, I do talk about moving from the animal consciousness to the human consciousness. And in there, we'll actually talk about rebirth uh, a good amount in, in this particular run of classes. But you're 100% right, Max, that Gautama Buddha did talk about that. The goal is never to be reborn. So hopefully people will learn and practice the teachings enough that they can attain enlightenment and never actually be reborn. But should you need to be reborn, having been generous, it will improve your rebirth. And the reason for that is because if you've practiced generosity in this life, then there's going to be less and less and less craving. And with less craving, it means that there's going to be a better rebirth. So it's not like we're manipulating this and saying, okay, will you give money now and you're going to get something good later? Because that kind of sounds like probably what we've been taught in other traditions. That's not what the Buddha was actually teaching 100%. What essentially what he's teaching is by practicing generosity and reducing the craving in this life, it actually creates a better situation for future rebirth. But the goal is to never be reborn. So hopefully you never even get to that point. Other questions that you have, Max, besides the question on rebirth? No, no, no more questions. No, that, that was that's a good answer. I suppose what, one comment I'd like to add is, is that, that the merit is a, therefore a good stepping stone, I think, to discovering deeper elements of the teachings. That's how I view it. Because uh, I think a lot of our society is very much built around pleasure seeking and we haven't necessarily seen that uh, getting what we want sometimes comes to the downside or not getting what we're attached to inevitably downside and I think the giving of merit is a way that 
we could chip away at that a little bit and experience the joy of actually having either having less or the joy of generosity and also meditation. I mean, is that a fair way to view merit, would you say? One way to think about this for me is, let's just say like somebody had no idea of the Buddhist teachings whatsoever. They completely brand new, or maybe they were studying a different tradition of Buddhism and they happen to start now learning the Buddhist teachings and they start learning about the Four Noble Truths, the Three Universal Truths, they learn the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Three Poisons, all of these different teachings, meditation, they start implementing it into their life and they're seeing all this benefit and they're seeing improved qualities of mind and they're starting to reduce their frustration down to irritation, to annoyance. They're noticing that they're not getting angry or frustrated as, as much or as often or less severity. And the condition of their minds improving through things like meditation and other teachings. Well, eventually, the community and each individual in the community gets to a certain point where they start realizing like, wow, these teachings are, are really benefiting me. They're really improving the condition of my mind. It's not something that you're doing on belief. Remember, the very first talk that I gave in this program was don't believe me about anything is practice the teachings and see it for yourself. So up until this point, if someone was brand new and they're just learning and they're getting the teachings, learning those and they're practicing them and they're seeing improved qualities of mind. Well, if this person is still holding on to things like certain resources or money or not willing to share with other people, then there's still obstacles there in the mind that's inhibiting them from realizing the enlightened mind. So essentially what we could almost say is one wouldn't be able to attain enlightenment without actually producing merit because one of the fetters, one of the things that we need to extinguish from the mind is any doubt about the teachings. And if we have doubt about the teachings, then we're not going to attain enlightenment. And if we have doubt about the teachings, it also means that we're probably not going to be generous. We're not going to be practicing all the teachings, which includes making offerings and being generous. So we could easily say, if we understand that learning and practicing these teachings is improving the quality of the mind, and we understand that the 10 fetters need to be eliminated in order to fully eliminate these unwholesome qualities of the mind, that's what the 10 fetters are, the unwholesome qualities of the mind, then these things need to be eradicated in order to produce an enlightened mind. One of the fetters is doubt about the teachings. So if somebody is learning the three universal truths, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, the Three Poisons. They're learning about Gamma. They're learning about meditation. Their mind is improving, but they didn't support the teachings in any way. They didn't offer food. They didn't offer time. They didn't offer support in terms of financial resources or something like this. Then to me, I think there's still doubt about the teachings there that they're not fully practicing generosity. So I could say that without somebody being willing to support the teachings that are being shared with them, how could they ever actually step past and eliminate this fetter of doubt about the teachings because 
someone would still be in a position of holding on and not being willing to even support the people who are sharing the teachings with them. So what you'll see in Thailand is you'll see the community that comes in on a regular basis and without being asked, without being prompted, without any basket going around, which is what I grew up with, again, without any guilt or shame or fear, people just willingly come to the temple on their own, at their own accord, sporadically, and they will just walk in and they will just make offerings of you know, money, supplies, food, whatever it is, and they will share what they have with the people who are dedicated to learning and practicing the teachings. Now, if you live close to a temple here in Thailand, the monks actually go out every day and actually walk down the street with a bowl and they just walk. They don't have any expectation. There's no expectation from teachers or from monks for people to give us support. But the monks, part of their discipline is they just walk down the street with a bowl and whoever would like to put something in their bowl, they just do it. Again, not out of requirement, but the monks just essentially, it's like their morning exercise. They might go out for two, three, four, five mile walk. In the city, it's a lot shorter, but in the temples that are out further, like where I am, they will make much longer walks, you know, four, five, six kilometers. And anyone along their path is welcome to make offerings. And it's an opportunity to create merit. So it's just a regular part of practice where when we grew up, or at least when I grew up, you know, there was a certain service in a building, there was a certain talk given, and then there was kind of a basket that was moved through the seats, and there was kind of like an expectation or an obligation, and you're kind of sometimes made to feel guilty or shameful if you didn't give, where this isn't the way these teachings are set up. These teachings aren't pushed onto people. They're really pulled into the community. So it's only by people's interest to actually come to classes like this. Like nobody's forced you to come here to learn. You've chosen to come into this online class. You've chosen to come to the streaming. You've chosen to listen to the podcast. And because of your choice, you're learning and improving your understanding of these teachings that you can then practice and train the mind to be a better and better condition. And at your own will, at any time, people in Thai culture, and what I would suggest for you guys is at your own interest to make offerings in order to support the teachings. Because without your support, I wouldn't be able to keep teaching and keep doing what I do. I'm kind of fortunate in that I did make a good amount of money when I was in America and I was able to do things like buy this house that I don't have to pay rent. And I was able to do things like that. And I live here in Thailand where things are very inexpensive and and a small amount of money goes a really long way, but there's still a need for financial support. And there's another situation that I have that's going on really good, which is I do work for about you know 10 hours on the side and I make a little bit of money to support myself and my family because even though I made a lot of money when I was in America, that money's all gone now. So I still kind of walk this line of having a job and kind of doing a little bit of work about 10 hours a week 
but I spend probably about 80 plus hours a week teaching these teachings and sharing these teachings. And what I would ultimately like to get to is to the point where there's a large enough community that is supportive enough and finding enough benefit in the teachings that I'm sharing that I wouldn't necessarily need to do that other work because the more time that I can spend producing content and sharing the teachings, the more beneficial that I can be. And all the donations that I've received from students have gone right back into helping to share the teachings more. I've actually spent a lot more of my own money at this point to share these teachings than I've ever taken in from students. For example, this particular program, this group learning program, I had to buy a brand new computer just to be able to host it because it takes so much processing power to be able to stream to all these different platforms, to do Zoom, to record the podcast. So I had to buy a, a computer about 4,000 US dollars in order to actually do this work. And that money came from the work that I'm doing on the side, that I was able to work enough, save up enough money, and now I'm using that in order to share the teachings with all of you and hopefully even more and more people beyond that. So if you would like to practice generosity, if you would like to share your resources, I would be very appreciative, very thankful. There's no expectation that I have. I would teach you regardless of whether you ever offered any donation or not. But it's something that you should consider as part of benefiting from these teachings is, you know, having some type of exchange where you're able to share and support me as I'm sharing and supporting you. you know, just things like writing this book has taken me a year and a half to do that. Offering teachings in the Facebook group, the YouTube channel, all the things that I do. I'm very pleased and very glad to be able to offer all these teachings to everybody but there is a certain amount of me kind of walking the line of working on one side and making sure that I'm able to support myself and my food, but then on the other side, using some donations to be able to do things like produce an audio book, print books, advertise for classes, support different equipment that I need in order to actually share these teachings with you guys and people after you because you may learn with me for three, four, five years and then you may have learned enough that you've actually become more and more enlightened and we won't need to talk or you won't need to come to classes as much anymore because you'll have learned so much that you can just practice and practice and practice and maybe once a year, once every six months, you might have a question where at the beginning stages like this, you need to come to class a lot more and you're going to have a lot more questions, but then eventually you'll get to a point where you won't need that ongoing constant support as you do now. You'll get to a point where you can kind of spread it out more, but your offering your donation is not only helping you, but it's helping the people who are coming after you to be able to support them in their learning. Thanks, so, David. I, mean, I, I for one feel very lucky to have you as a teacher because there's, it's quite, you're in quite a unique position because you have had this history as a lay person, as a successful business person, and that you are able to give these teachings freely, whereas typically that's not 
how either people get stuck in a, a business career for much of their life, um, or you would, you know, maybe in a different setting, hire someone to, to coach on something. But what you have is a set of experiences. And if it wasn't for your generosity, I wouldn't have, you know, encountered you. I wouldn't have attended the, the meditation class in Chiang Mai. And all I want to do now is give back because it's, I'm seeing it be put to really good use. So I think when we when we do give, we often um, or when we when we transact, we often only think of like you know what what am I getting here? But we often forget there's actually another side to that. Um, and when we're giving out generosity, we are doing it because we see that other side as well. We know we're helping. And if we're getting benefit, it feels good to give, knowing that that money or those resources are only going to be used to help more people benefit in the same way that we've benefited. So, you know, I'm very pleased to be a, a supporter on Patreon and um, I'm just, yeah, seeing you do more and more good things with it. So, so thank you. And um, I would like to encourage anyone else who has benefited to consider that as well. Yeah, one of the things that I do, because I think that it's important, is I like to be transparent about how I use donations. So as you know, Max, because you're in Patreon, is as I spend money, I post the receipts and show people what I've spent and where I've spent it so that people see that I'm not putting it in my pocket. I'm not filling up a bank account. I'm not uh, I'm not driving a Mercedes or Rolls Royce. In fact, I used to have a Mercedes, I used to have a Toyota truck, I used to have six, seven, eight motorbikes. I sold everything. I put this house when I bought it in my wife's name. I sold my Mercedes, I sold my car, I sold all my motorbikes. I only have one small little motorbike that's still in my name and the only reason why I haven't switched it is because it's just kind of silly just to go switch it into my wife's name because it costs like four or 500 baht to do that. Um, it just sits out there and she uses it more than I do. I actually use her motorbike because I like it. It's a little bit slower. I'm not that good on motorbikes. So I, I like a slower motorbike. So I use my wife's little scooter. But I basically went from a life of making $1 million a year gross, living in America in a very nice apartment. I had a luxury car. I had a staff of 20, 25 people. I moved to Thailand, opened up some businesses here. Once again, had had a staff. I even had a team of bodyguards who were protecting me at one time because of the type of work that I was in. I was making lots of money there too. And I lived in a, in a house with a, a second house for the bodyguards. And I had a swimming pool and all these different things, Mercedes and car and motorbikes and lots of great food and clothing and all this stuff. And what I realized is none of this stuff leads to a peaceful life. None of it leads to a peaceful mind. It doesn't mean you can't be wealthy and attain enlightenment because you can. There's plenty of, of wealthy people that do wonderful things in the world. In fact, the more wealthy you are, the more you can benefit other people. But for me, I got to a point where I was realizing that my mind was just producing all this effort and all this work to sustain this lifestyle, you know, wearing expensive clothes, driving expensive cars, going to expensive restaurants. It was just requiring me to stay in that lifestyle. And by me making drastic changes to my lifestyle, I was able to get to a point where I am now. 
that I can spend 80 plus hours a week to share these teachings with people like you, which I wouldn't have been able to do before because I was more into the luxurious things that I was into. So now I wear clothes that cost $10 for the shirt in the pants. It's only $10 for me to, to put on a shirt and put on a pair of pants. Where before I was wearing, you know, $200 shirts, $300 pants and two or $300 shoes and all these different kinds of things. And, you know, eating out at a really expensive restaurants where now I just live a very basic, very simple life with simple clothes, no possessions. You know, I sleep on the floor, very simple, very basic. I don't go outside and to, to places. I just focus on sharing these teachings with all of you and anyone else who are interested to learn. So by adapting my lifestyle, I've been able to bring it into a more basic way that I don't have to make all this exorbitant amount of money, that I can just work for 10 hours and that's enough money for my family and for me. And then any donations that I receive, I can put those to work to expand the teachings and share the teachings with more and more people. So that's what I've really been focused on and that's how I practice generosity. Now when I was a business person, I had lots of money and I didn't have much time because I was working so much to make a lot of money. So during that time, I gave a lot of money to people and that's what I had, where now I don't have that, but I have time. So that's why I give my time and that's how I practice generosity is by giving my time and effort and energy to all of you to help you learn and grow with these teachings because I know where these teachings lead to. I know that these teachings lead to complete elimination of a discontent mind. You can completely eliminate sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, guilt, shame, fears, boredom, loneliness, shyness, jealousy. You can eliminate all of this from the mind. And for me, having discovered these teachings, it's almost like discovering the cure to cancer. And what I would do if I discovered the cure to cancer and all these people are dying is I would go around and give it out to whoever I could give it out to completely free because I have no interest in making money off of this cure to cancer. So discovering these teachings of the Buddha to me is like almost even better than cancer because it's discovering the cure to this discontent mind that keeps everybody in this sad, frustrated, angry, irritated, bored, lonely, annoyed, guilt, shame, all of these feelings that we've been plagued with our whole life and we just thought that these were part of the human condition, not ever realizing that there's a way to completely eliminate it. And now that I've discovered this and I'm able to share it because I've practiced it and I've experienced it, now I can come to the Western world and I can say, hey, here's the solution that probably all of us are looking for but we don't even know it exists because it's so far away. We've been taught our whole life, essentially, that this sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, boredom, loneliness, all of this stuff is just part of life. And this is just what we have to live with. And it's just part of the human condition. But what I've realized in living here in Thailand and having access to these teachings is that no, that's not actually what we have to live with. So. One of my goals 
is to bring these teachings to the Western world and other parts of the world too in sharing this on a bigger and bigger and bigger stage so that more and more people can realize that there's an answer to this discontent mind and the suffering that it causes. You can attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that's permanent, that never leaves you. I mean, if you can imagine attaining that for yourself is outstanding, but being able to help others to do that is very rewarding. Having been able to teach my son and my wife and other people in our community and help them to eliminate this. It's absolutely the best thing you could do for yourself, for those close to you, and all of humanity. So your support, it helps you because you're practicing generosity and eliminating that craving, but it also helps me to help other people. And I've set up my life in such a way that is very simple and very basic so that any support that I get, I can use it through my own generosity, my own effort, my own energy to share the teachings on a wider and wider scale. So hopefully one day you'll discover the cure to cancer too. And the more and more that you learn these teachings, you'll be able to share them with your family and your community as well. So the next part that I want to share with you is what we call the way of practice. Essentially, this is what Max was talking about when he's talking about like a stepping stone. Okay, the Buddhist teachings aren't just a bunch of theory. It's not just a bunch of belief. As I've told you guys, and I've shared with you before, is that all of these teachings are based on truth. That if you learn the teachings and practice the teachings, you will see the mind improve, the quality of the mind improve. So it requires us to do something, right? We can't just listen to a talk. We can't just read a book and then close that and life gets better. We actually have to do something. We have to actually conduct ourselves in a certain way. So this is called the way of practice. There's essentially three things that you're doing as part of this practice. You're practicing generosity, which we've already covered quite a bit in this talk, and you're practicing moral conduct. Essentially, this is the Eightfold Path, which is the moral conduct, and you're practicing meditation, right? It's through these three ways of practice that the mind is going to improve. So this is how we practice. Essentially what generosity is, is generosity is being willing and ready to share your time, your effort, your energy, your resources, things that you are accumulating. And not because it's expected, but just because you see the benefit in doing so, not because you necessarily want something from somebody that you're you're getting this, so I'm going to give this, right? This is how the mind works is, I want this product, so I'm gonna give money and I get this. But what you've gotta to get to in your practice is you've gotta to get to a point where you're willing to share with other people without any expectation of return. So if I open a bag of potato chips, like I've talked before, I offer it to the people around me, not because I want anything back from them, not because I want them to share their potato chips with me, not because I want them to look at me like I'm such a great guy, I'm so wonderful, but just because it's beneficial to share and I would like to, to share with people. 
So we, you need to get to the point with your mind that are, it's not always this one for one, that I'm giving this, so therefore I'm getting this. And whatever I get, it should be equal or higher to the amount of what I'm giving. So I'm only gonna give whenever I get something that's of equal value or higher. This is selfishness. So sometimes we need to train the mind to be generous, to just give, just to give, without any expectation of anything in return. So this is generosity. And we've already been talking about this as it relates to merit, right? So far we've been talking about merit, and merit is supporting the teachings of the Buddha with teachers, but generosity is beyond just merit. It's actually sharing with other people as well and practicing generosity in many different parts of your life. And this is where you also have to find the middle way, right? Because if you share excessively and you don't have enough for yourself, then that's gonna cause problems for you. And if you share nothing and you just accumulate all of these resources for yourself and you hold on to them, then your craving's going to be too deep. So that's not gonna be beneficial for the mind either. So going back to what we talked about in chapter six, which is the middle way, is you've got to find that middle way. And that middle way is going to fluctuate. You know, in certain times, what I noticed when I was doing a lot of giving of finances in the temples in America, when I was making a lot of money and I had a lot of wealth, I was giving a lot. And at times where maybe things were a little bit tighter, I wasn't giving quite as much. And I would kind of throttle it back. This is finding the middle way. And you've got to find that with generosity, whether you're making offerings to your teacher for guidance and for just to support them in their efforts to share the teachings, or whether you're offering to charities your time, effort, and energy. If you weren't finding that middle, it's going to cause problems because you're either giving too much or you're not giving at all. So you've got to find that middle in terms of giving your time, effort, energy, and your resources. So practice generosity, that's the stepping stone. Without generosity, these teachings wouldn't continue. These teachings would not have lasted for over 2,500 years. So that's why it's first. It's the first part of practice. It's the first way of practice. But then the second part is this moral conduct or virtuous behavior. This is kind of holding and manifesting certain principles that you feel are higher or proper conduct. And this is what the Buddha is giving us in the Eightfold Path. When he taught the right view, the right intention, the right speech, the right action, the right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, these are essentially the moral conduct. Specifically, right speech, right action, and right livelihood are really honing in on the conduct that we do on a daily basis because it's our speech, our actions, and our livelihood that is essentially our conduct. But you can also even kind of look at the wider Eightfold Path in terms of this as well. But specifically, our speech, our actions, and our livelihood comes down to our moral conduct. Whereas if we're following right speech, which has the five factors of well-spoken speech, which is speaking at the right time, what we say is true, what we say we speak gently, what we say is beneficial and is spoken from a mind of loving kindness, 
without blame. If you go back and you look at right speech and you bring your speech closer and closer to that and you hold that as a higher principle of proper conduct, then bringing your speech closer and closer in line with that, what you'll see is that you'll be able to have better and better relationships, both personally and business-wise, okay? And then if you bring your conduct closer and closer to what's described as right action in the Eightfold Path, you will have better personal relationships and better business relationships. And the same thing with right livelihood. And this is one of the reasons why people do tend to make offerings and they do become generous and practice merit is because the more that they learn these teachings, the more that they practice these teachings, their life continually improves and they see better personal relationships and they see better business relationships. I know that when I first started out in America and I opened my own business, I was just kind of like just getting started. But the more I dove into these teachings and the more I practiced them, the more successful I became in business. And about a period of about 12 years, I went from just opening this small little business out of my little apartment in Virginia, Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., and just creating a little website and just offering it kind of a little business on the side to by 12 years later, the company was grossing over a million dollars a year. And the reason why is because I built up my gamma. I made really good decisions in that business and I practiced good customer service. I hired very good people that were working really well, that they were getting along with each other. They were spending time as a group. We treated our customers well. We never focused on the money. We never thought about the money and focused on that. We just always focused on helping the people because what we were doing is we were doing massage. We were doing Thai massage, herbal treatments. We were had a school that we were teaching Thai herbal traditions and Thai massage. And part of that, I was teaching Buddhism as well. So the more that I practiced the teachings of the Buddha, I noticed that the more virtuous behavior that I had as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a business person, as an employer, as a member of the community, my business just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And this was directly related to learning and practicing the teachings closer and closer and closer. So by having good moral conduct, following the teachings of the Eightfold Path, right speech, right action, right livelihood, what you're going to notice is you're going to be improving your gamma and your opportunities in life are just going to improve more and more and more. And it's going to be a more stable life. It's going to be more stable that your businesses or your jobs or whatever you decide to get into is going to be stable. And you'll be able to actively work towards acquiring more and more resources to benefit your life and the people around you. So having moral conduct and practicing right speech, right action, right livelihood is another way of practice. It's part of this whole three aspects of practice. And how would you ever know about that virtuous moral conduct if you weren't generous to produce merit and have teachers that are teaching you the moral conduct? So you wouldn't get the moral conduct from the Buddhist teachings 
if you weren't first practicing generosity and actually having teachers around you that can teach you this moral conduct. So that's why generosity is first. And then we move into moral conduct. Okay, well now once we know about the moral conduct, right speech, right action, right livelihood, then we move into meditation. And these are things that I've been teaching you guys, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And this is a way of practice. We need to ultimately do meditation in order to train the mind. Because we can go out and share with people all day long and share whatever we wanna share, but if we're not practicing right speech, right action, right livelihood, we're not practicing moral conduct, we're gonna be producing all kinds of unwholesome results in our daily decisions because we're practicing wrong speech, wrong action, wrong livelihood. And then how do we actually do this, not only with the Eightfold Path, but that latter part of the Eightfold Path, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, essentially comes down to meditation and training the mind through breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Now, this word meditation in Western culture is kind of used in a lot of different ways. So that's why I wanted to make sure I put a definition to what is meditation. Because some people will say, I'm going to walk the dog and I'm going to meditate, or I'm gonna go for a jog and I'm gonna meditate, or I'm gonna read a book and meditate. But these are actually two different activities. You can't actually read a book and meditate, and you can't walk the dog and meditate. You can't jog and meditate. Now, while you're walking the dog, you might be practicing mindfulness, which is awareness of mind. Or while you're reading a book, you may be practicing mindfulness, which is awareness of mind. Or while you're, you're going for a jog, you might be practicing mindfulness, which is awareness of mind. But you're not actually meditating. What meditation is, is it's an independent, dedicated session where you're actively training the mind. Right? It's a technique where you're actively training the mind to either eliminate certain qualities of mind or cultivate certain qualities of mind. So the two types of meditation that I've taught so far, which is breathing mindfulness meditation is the first one. It's teaching you and training the mind to eliminate this quality of craving from the mind. So we're working in a dedicated, independent, active training session to eliminate the quality or eliminate this craving, eliminate this greed, this holding on, this mental longing, this strong eagerness to hold on. So we're eliminating a certain quality from the mind in an active, independent, dedicated training session. And then loving kindness meditation in a dedicated, independent, active training session we're training the mind to cultivate loving kindness or active goodwill without judgment towards all beings. So meditation is the active training of the mind to either eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities of mind. And this is ultimately what we work through in order to train the mind. But there's these other aspects that we need to pay attention to because just like we couldn't share whatever we share and talk bad to people and actually reach enlightenment, you wouldn't be able to reach enlightenment through just sharing, 
you wouldn't be able to reach enlightenment through just having right speech, right action, right livelihood, because if you weren't sharing and you weren't meditating, you wouldn't be able to reach enlightenment with just moral conduct. Likewise, you can't attain enlightenment just by meditation. This is one of the big misunderstandings in the world of Buddhist teachings is people think that the Buddha basically walked, he sat down under a tree, and then in a certain period of time, he became enlightened, right? And people, some people are misunderstanding and they think that all you need to do is meditation and you get to enlightenment. But it's this three ways of practice that's leading to enlightenment. So we need to actually practice all three, generosity, moral conduct, and meditation in order to actually work to attaining enlightenment. As we discussed here with generosity and once we were talking about moral conduct, you heard me talking about right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Well, embedded in there is the five precepts. The precepts are part of moral conduct. If everybody in the world practiced the five precepts, what a beautiful world this would be. Because let's review the five precepts just on a brief level. If nobody killed, we didn't kill other humans. Essentially, there's no murder in the world. There's no suicides in the world. There's no killing of living beings, animals, insects, all these different things. There was no killing in the world whatsoever. What a beautiful world that would be. There's no stealing in the world. Nobody stole from each other. Everybody just allowed each other to acquire whatever resources they needed and nothing ever got stolen from you. Just think about not locking your front door at night, never needing to lock your front door. You could leave from home for two, three, five days, and not even need to lock your door. You can go to sleep at night, not even be concerned if somebody was going to come in at night. You could sleep without even locking your door because people aren't stealing. You wouldn't have to lock up your stuff outside. You didn't have to lock your car doors. You may not even need a key for your car, right? We only have keys for cars because we're concerned about people maybe stealing them. But think about living in a world where people didn't steal. Think about living in a world where people didn't have sexual misconduct. Whereas if you were with a partner and you had a relationship that you knew without a doubt because nobody does, you knew without a doubt that this person was going to be loyal to you. It never even entered your mind whether this person was going to be loyal to you or not. And you could just have a real wholesome relationship and have complete trust of this other person. Think about living in a world where nobody ever lied, where everybody was a truth speaker, trustworthy, dependable, not a deceiver of the world, where everybody was truthful, a truth speaker. And think about a world where people didn't take substances that caused harm to the mind or heedlessness, intoxication, right? Where people had pure minds without substances that cause heedlessness. Just these five precepts, and not even maybe the entire world, let's just think even half of the world, even if just half of the world lived that way, wouldn't it be like a really wonderful, amazing place to live? So essentially, that's what moral conduct is coming to because the five precepts are part of 
right speech, right action, and right livelihood, they're part of this moral conduct is ensuring that we're practicing the five precepts closer and closer and closer because the more that we do that, the more our life improves, but also the more all of humanity improves. And then think of a world where a half of the world was actually meditating or the entire world was meditating to eliminate craving, to cultivate loving kindness or active goodwill for all beings. So by practicing in this way, where let's just say the entire world was sharing and generous, would we have famine in Africa? Would we have poverty? I would say no. Because now what we have is we have a lot of people accumulating a lot of wealth in certain communities, and some people are sharing that, and some people aren't. It's just kind of getting accumulated. And we've got people on this planet who don't eat for multiple days at a time. We have people that don't have clothes, that don't have fresh water. We have people that don't have a dwelling or a house to live in. We have people that can't afford medical attention. So in a world where everybody's generous and sharing, there would be no such thing as famine. There would be no such thing as starvation. There would be no such thing as unpure water to drink. There would be no such thing as a human being that can't get medical attention. Everybody on the face of the earth would be ensuring that they're sharing and that everybody was well taken care of. And think of a world where everybody was conducting themselves in a moral way moral conduct or virtuous behavior where we all speak to each other politely, kindly, warmly, friendly, respectfully, with appreciation, with gratitude, where we had right action, where we don't harm people with our actions. We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't have sexual misconduct. We don't take intoxicants. And think about a world where everyone's meditating and working to eliminate this craving and cultivate loving kindness or active goodwill without judgment. So this is the way of practice. If everybody practiced these three high-level things and then drilling down into the level of depth, going through the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, getting deeper and deeper into each one of these areas, then we would live in a very peaceful, loving world where humanity is working together to peacefully coexist on this planet as a peaceful, loving, caring society. And this is what's possible if more and more people actually learn and practice these teachings. And this is where we come back to merit because it's your merit by you supporting the teachings that this world slowly, gradually becomes this world that we're talking about that's generous, conducting themselves in a moral way, and practicing meditation. And it doesn't happen if there's not support for the teachings throughout the world. Any questions? No questions on Facebook or Zoom, David, but that was um, a very inspiring section there, you know, imagining all those things coming into in the world and uh, imagine how much money would save on not not spending money on the military that's one thing to think about um, yeah. one thing I took away from that as well is that uh, just, I was just going to say that 
even if someone just doesn't have money or things they can do to practice also that meditation is one of the most meritorious things someone can do if not the most meritorious things something someone can do there's yeah. a real relief in that I think because we can always take time to meditate yeah it's interesting that you bring up the military because this is something that I think about as well as I think about you know, me having come from America and notice knowing that they spend so much money on the military is, um, you know, if everybody in the world was generous, if everybody was conducting themselves in a virtuous way where we don't cause harm, where we're not killing, that means we're not fearful. We're all meditating, right? And there would be no need for military. Uh, I think the U.S. spends 700 billion a year in military because essentially there's fear in this world there's fear of being attacked there's fear of what another person could do to us whereas if this entire world was generous practicing moral conduct and meditation we could use those resources in so many ways again there wouldn't be famine there wouldn't be poverty because we could use these resources to provide medical care, to help people, to do better moral things in the world rather than drop bombs and kill people. And, you know, we can't ever get to a point where there's no fear if we don't learn and practice these teachings ourselves. So we need to continue to learn, continue to practice, continue to share these teachings with other people who are choosing to step forward because not everyone during our lifetime is going to step forward. I know growing up, I grew up in a, many different challenges in life. I had a lot of challenges going up in my life, really hard life. And I always, for lack of a better word, yeah, I craved a better world. I craved a better existence. I craved more peacefulness i craved more loving and kind and peaceful people around me and i never understood growing up how to actually do that and what that meant because i didn't have any exposure and it wasn't until i started spending more and more time around thai people that i started realizing that wow all the things that i craved my whole life these people already have it you know, the first couple of times I came to Thailand, I'll be honest with you, I was pretty judgmental, right? I saw the wooden shacks and the old clothes and the flip-flops and a lot of people in poverty. And I was pretty judgmental of that. And I thought like, how dare these people, you know, why don't they work? Why don't they do something? Why, why are they living this way? But what I come to realize is that the Thai people understand that peacefulness and a good life in a content mind doesn't come through material possessions. And that's a really big thing to make a jump growing up in Western culture because we're taught our whole life that it is the Rolls Royce or the Rolex or the Nike tennis shoes or this or that that determines our worth and who we are. And by having these things, it somehow makes us better. And the more we desire those things, the more we crave those things. And if we actually accomplish it, then we've made it. And we're kind of have made it into this life. 
And we just, in this mindset that we've grown up with in Western culture, we just crave these things more and more and more and more and more. And we keep driving after them and we keep pushing ourselves and we keep trying to climb that ladder and get to the point where we're making more and more and more wealth. But we never get there. We never get to a point. And that's what I realized even in making a million dollars a year, driving a Mercedes, having all of these things that I had, I realized like, where does this end? Where's the end of this? There is no end because of the way the mind works and that it's constantly craving. As soon as you make 50,000 a year, then you want 100,000. And then you make 100,000, you want 150. Then you want 250, then you want 500. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing and the mind's never satisfied with what is. It's just constantly craving. So what these teachings are doing is training the mind to circumvent that craving and realize that you can attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy now. That your peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy isn't dependent on these material possessions. It's not dependent on this certain position in society. It's not dependent on this certain job or this certain income. You actually have all those conditions in the mind that may be driving you to think that that's what you need in order to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. But the more you start acquiring those things, the more you realize that the mind just keeps craving more and more and more. So you have to put an end to it and you have to decide what kind of life am I going to leave and finding that middle where the mind isn't having excessive craving, but you're not scraping two pennies together and trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from either. But you find that middle and start knocking down that craving where you know, you realize that you don't have to have the brand new iPhone 11 or 12 or 13 or whatever they're on now that, you know, an iPhone 6 actually works quite well. And by me not buying the latest, greatest gadget that comes out, it means I work less, which means I get to spend more time with my family or I get to spend more time on my own meditating and learning and practicing. So if we keep driving ourselves the way that the mind is kind of conditioned through marketing and capitalism and some of these other disciplines. If we keep driving ourselves to crave and crave and crave and crave and crave, where does it end? It, do, it never ends. So that's why the start of this way of practice is generosity, is sharing, to eliminate that craving because that craving is the problem and then moving into the moral conduct and meditation. So this is kind of a high-level view of the way of practice for these teachings and helping to train the mind more and more and more. And of course, all of these three things break down into much more detailed teachings that the Buddha gave of why we're actually practicing in this way. Thanks, for that, David. It appears we have no questions at this time. Okay. Well, I will just end today with saying thank you guys for joining. Uh, thank you guys for deciding to learn the Buddhist teachings because I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give up teaching. I started teaching these teachings in 2005 
and it wasn't until the last year and a half, two years, that I decided to really just teach these teachings for the rest of my life and continuing however long that is, the next 45, 50 years uh, on, and just continuing to share these teachings with more and more and more and more and more people. I know that this is what I need to be doing in this life and helping people like you and others who will come after you and helping the world to realize that here in Thailand, these teachings have been here for multiple centuries, multiple centuries. Thailand is a very peaceful, calm, serene, and content place. Sure, there's an occasional crime here or there. There's an occasional murder here or there. There's an occasional person who's maybe using drugs or stealing or what have you, but it's very few and far between. I grew up in America always actually being interested in living in a world where I don't have to lock the front doors. I heard from my grandparents when they grew up, they never locked their front doors in growing up as a child. And I'm actually at a point where I actually don't lock my front doors when I go to sleep at night or when I leave the house. When I go out to a store, I don't lock the, the house. We don't have to because we live in a society of people that are essentially 94, 95% of them are practicing these teachings. And what I see is I see kindness. I see generosity. I see respect. I see politeness. And they call Thailand the land of smiles. And the reason why is because everybody is just so joyful here. And it would be wonderful to bring more and more of these teachings into the Western world. Because I grew up in America and I understand Western culture, I know how harsh it can be. I know how judgment and people judging you, and I know certain looks that people give, and I know how people treat each other at restaurants or at banks or when you go to businesses, it's it's hard to just find a kind, friendly, polite person in certain communities. Now, other communities, they can be very different. But at least in the communities that I grew up in, it was often very hard to just find a caring, compassionate, loving person that was willing to sit down and share teachings that would help benefit your life without having any expectation of anything in return. Well, here in Thailand, the people here have been practicing these teachings for many, 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 many centuries, and their only interest is to live together peacefully. It's just to live together peacefully. This is why I realized that they don't care about whether they have the biggest, most beautiful house for the most part. They don't care if they're wearing Rolex watches. They don't care if they're driving the most beautiful car. They don't care if they have the most updated phone or the, the most beautiful clothes. What Thai people care about who are practicing these teachings is they care about each other. Is they care about does everybody have food to eat today? Essentially, one of the greetings in Thailand after you say Sawadee Kap is Gin Kao Liang Mai Kap. What this means is, did you eat yet? And this is essentially the greeting in Thailand. Because everybody is so interested in making sure each other is peaceful, make sure that they're sharing with each other, 
make sure that each other is well taken care of, what you see is a society of people that are always looking out for each other in a very genuine way, in a very caring way, without pushing each other, without trying to enforce things on each other, without taking your views and your opinions and trying to force others to follow those. Thai people just generally are interested in existing with each other peacefully, with politeness, with respect, with appreciation, with gratitude. And I know that our culture isn't like that, and it's not like that yet. And it never will be like that if there's not people like us that are choosing to learn these teachings and bring them into our community. So what you're doing is learning these teachings for you, but over the course of your life, the more that you're learning and practicing these, you're going to be sharing them with people around you and maybe not teaching them the way that I'm doing. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But even just you practicing these teachings when someone's hostile with you and you being kind, polite, and respectful back, or somebody is a little bit sad today and you take your time by practicing generosity and you sit down and you talk to them for 10, 15, 30 minutes or however long it takes to just listen to them and show that you're a caring, kind individual that has compassion. The more that I share these teachings with you and the more that you practice these teachings, the Western world is going to become more of a loving, caring, kind place just like here in Thailand. So the more that we support these teachings, the more that we practice these teachings, the more that we can influence by way of our own practice. Not by standing out on the street corner and pushing or forcing people to do what we do. Not like that. But just by learning and practicing, people are going to notice, wow, this guy's always so caring or this girl is always so caring. She's always so polite. She's always so kind. And people are going to start asking you, why? Why are you like this? People used to always ask me, why are your businesses so successful? And I would just share with them because I follow the Buddhist teachings. It comes from these teachings because these are the natural law of gamma. This is, his teachings are based around the natural law of gamma. So you are essentially learning these for yourself, but then it's going to benefit all the people around you and all of humanity. So the more that you learn these teachings and practice them, the more that you can bring them into your community and benefit all the people around you. So that's why I will typically end each one of my talks by just saying thank you for choosing to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha because by you learning them it's going to help you it's going to help all the people close to you and it's going to help all of humanity to bring these teachings into the world more and more and more so that we can have more peace more kindness more respect more politeness more love and just more compassion in the world. And we do that through you learning and practicing these teachings. So thank you all so much for choosing to learn the teachings of Gautama Buddha. And I wish you guys have a very good, wholesome week and that you can use these teachings to benefit your life. Next is chapter 11. We're going to be studying meditation specifically. Now, in these sessions that I've done on Wednesday, 
I've been teaching you meditation, the practical part of meditation. But next Sunday, because we're in chapter 11 and we're going to be going into meditation, we're going to be going into it in a lot more depth than I've been doing in the individual Wednesday sessions. So I'll see you guys either on Wednesday or on Sunday at 9 o'clock Thai time. And in between that, keep reading, keep watching videos, keep listening to the podcast, and enjoy your time. So thank you all so much. Sawadikap. Have a really good week, and we'll see you next time. Be well. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.